What is going on, everybody? That is right. We are back again for another show, another podcast, the Sports Card Show podcast. Um, it's again, it's a happy new year. Again, it, that happy new year signifies the end of college football season. And uh, I was not joking. I had a lot of time. I told several people that uh, I feel great about college football ending. And uh, I don't think a lot of people had any idea or any idea really how much work. And again, I put that in air quotes, but it is a decent amount of work to follow. I don't know how many college football teams there are. I probably had to follow maybe 50 to 100 of them. Um, so there's a lot of, lot of teams. A lot of players looking forward to the NFL draft. I think what it what if you're not into college football, what it does is it does help you um, a little bit. If you're into, I, I don't know if prospecting in the NFL or kind of rookie hunting in the NFL is a thing a lot of people do. Certainly compared to baseball and even probably basketball, less people do it only because c- careers in the NFL are extremely short. But I think, um, you know, watching college helps because it's like, well, you can look at a guy's stats, you can look at film or whatever, but if you didn't, if you don't really even know kind of the context in which he put up those stats, maybe the type of offense they play, the type of teams, the, that team normally faces, and more importantly, the talent that they have around them, um, certainly, um, with quarterbacks, it's one thing, but I notice with wide receivers, it's another thing. You'll see a wide receiver have a great year, great two years with a quarterback that, you know, gets drafted maybe second, third, maybe even the first round of the NFL draft. Then all of a sudden, some redshirt freshman will play and he won't catch a ball. He'll catch two balls a game. Uh, so uh, whereas sometimes it's the other way around, uh, you know, the a wide receiver might be might be held down by uh, bad quarterback play and all of a sudden. Um, or the wide receiver might actually make the, the quarterback look good. Often is the case um, with teams like Alabama, LSU, uh, typically run kind of like two tight end, one wide receiver set. And so the run game and the play action make their quarterbacks look probably a little bit more attractive than they than they are. And, um, you know, of course, the Bengals, I think, are being led by an Alabama QB. So hopefully we can work in that play action fake. But anyways, two minutes in, we're talking about uh, the Bengals and the play action fake. So clearly my mind is focused on this weekend. And hopefully your team, if they're not in it, um, you can enjoy the NFL playoffs or you can just totally tune them out. That's fine. Uh, we got baseball around the corner. Certainly have top series one and some some more exciting and engaging uh, new sets. I don't know if it's exciting and engaging, but certainly something new to collect and, and something that doesn't, you know, I'm never opposed to, you know, top series one at a, at a price point that almost anybody can afford unless you're trying to break case after case. Um, it's, it's not very expensive for a pack or two packs or even a box or a jumbo box or even two boxes. Um, certainly anything anybody can experience. And, uh, you know, I like sets like top series one because of the price point, but also because we're not opening it. Yeah. It's, it's great. If we hit some of the rare cards, there's so there's always some kind of weird surprise. If, if tops really put some effort into it, there's always some kind of something that makes it uh, mildly interesting, at least for a period of time. 
but I certainly like those sets that that target that price point, and certainly uh, it being likely the most successful um, straight kind of traditional cardboard set. I would imagine in terms of sales and just the the vast um, sales that and reach that it has. Um, I'm I'm surprised that uh, there's not more sets out there like it. Um, although, um, it does take a tremendous amount of time and effort and, you know, work and labor. I don't, uh, ignore that fact to put out, you know, a card with a set with, you know, 8,000 unique cards, or I don't know if it's that many or if it's even close to that, but anytime you have that many unique cards, not just parallels and, and you know variations of cards already made. That's a lot of work, a lot, lot of labor. Um, what are we going to talk about on today's show? Well, what I did was um, obviously with college football over and not much going on in my life other than uh, daily fantasy and uh, the occasional um, you know substitute teaching uh, for ten dollars an hour. Uh, I'm not doing a whole lot. And, uh, so I decided to kind of, you know, get on Twitter. I've been on my Twitter feed in a while. I haven't been tweeting much, kind of checked out what's going on there. My brother had been tweeting for, for a little bit. So I kind of read what he'd been saying and some other people had been saying. And so it kind of led me down the road. Well, Hey, maybe I should go, uh, check out a bunch of group breakers websites. I haven't, I haven't really gone and kind of done my sweep of the industry. I wouldn't call it a thorough sweep or, or certainly something I would do um, if I was investigating a company to invest in. It's it's a similar similar strategy. Like if I'm investigating uh, a company for the first time, I'll certainly go to their not only their website, but kind of the entire industry's website to kind of get an idea of, hey, where is this industry at? Um, because you can often tell how well an industry is doing by how much they invest in uh, usually their most public-facing asset with retailers and maybe like restaurant chains. It's the uh, the physical brick and mortar. It's the kitchen. It's the employees and stuff like that. Um, with companies that are based online, I would certainly say it's their website. And so with group breaking it's fairly simple to do an audit of the industry a little bit by visiting uh, the everybody's website. So I started out going to the the guys that I know. I mean, I think a couple, full disclosure, I think a couple months ago when Topps Chrome Baseball come out, that was the last break I remember buying into. I think I, you know, just because I'm on Mojo's email list, I get their emails. And so every once in a while, it's like, well... For, you know, I think it was like maybe 15 bucks or something. I think I had the A's. I didn't get anything. But I thought for the price, and I think it was a full case break too. I was like, ah, why not? I'll I'll um, take a shot. And since I wasn't doing anything anyways, I was probably looking for some entertainment as it was. <laughs> you know, um, I decided to buy in. So I went to everybody's uh, websites, that I, the breakers that I know, and the breakers that seem to probably have you know the the not necessarily the most customers but certainly have been running the most volume and and tend to promote themselves probably as well or better than than anybody else and i will say that while their their website quality and and the 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 operations seemed to be you know 
at a larger scale than than several other people's that I went to. Um, certainly, I, I will, haven't seen any kind of uh, real advancement in terms of what I'm seeing visually on the website. Not that they need to be jumping out on you or being really slick or whatever. I will say probably the nicest one in terms of the aesthetics was probably, I think it was Ultimate Breaks or Ultimate UBB or something, Ultimate Box Breaks or something like that. Um, they have kind of a maroon color scheme as i recall um i thought their website while not you know you can set something like that up in in a few days without any experience something like that with someone with a lot of experience and maybe all the photos already kind of cropped and laid out you could do something like that in just a few hours um but i appreciated their attention to details but i didn't see things that I really expect to see on e-commerce sites. And I'll get to that maybe in, I'll get to that in a minute. I have a list of things that I expected to see on everybody's sites, especially the top people, the people that, you know, are probably doing the most volume. I uh, certainly expected to see certain things and didn't. So interesting, but Again, they're uh, compared as a group. If you take group breaking aside to in its own little industry on the web, um, I will say that there's people doing it better than others. But if you then compare those people to even kind of like startup um, kind of websites that I see a lot, a lot of times like subscription boxes or even kind of like even middle tier like some of those shave clubs have really nice websites and stuff not like super nice and deep websites but at least aesthetically makes you more confident about buying you know spending money i was on birchbox uh the other day buying a gift for uh, my sister and i thought that the flow and the the you know check putting my credit card into their website was not something that i even thought twice about so um, and as then I moved down the line, got to more, I'm not going to, I mentioned a few on my Twitter. If you're into specifics, I mentioned uh, several websites that you could enter your address and, and kind of like a billing address and uh, things like that on an unsecured form. And that is a fairly large no-no in today's e-commerce. Yes, 10, 15 years ago when I was doing e-commerce. Um, for the first time, SSL certificates were pretty much reserved for banks and, you know, very large, extremely large retailers. Um, now, Google has recommended that pretty much every website, even sports card radio, has an SSL cert, and I will likely get around to that at some point. I don't collect any customer data so I don't and I don't have any of it sitting on my own server so I don't feel the need to really run out and do that but certainly if I was collecting addresses of people with fairly probably fairly um, substantial card collections at that address I would consider that highly sensitive information the address of people with large card collections because I've been robbed hey maybe I'm more sensitive to it I grew up in Stockton California you can type that into Google it's one of the most dangerous 
places where a lot of random crime happens, where randomly you can be robbed, randomly you can be shot, randomly you can be held hostage and then thrown out of the car. I've seen that. I've seen people shot, seen guns, seen knives, seen all kinds, seen a lot of gang violence, a lot of stuff, a lot of domestic stuff, but there's also a lot of random crime there. So, and I've been robbed and they took all my baseball cards. I ended up getting them back because I worked at the shop where they ended up trying to sell them at. But um, you can see why group breaking why yeah maybe maybe that guy that does that's collecting customer data on an unsecure form he only has maybe 15 customers i get it guys but um a lot of the kind of banter on twitter that i saw before i kind of got involved was hey group breaking's taking this industry forward or it's going to be the thing that really takes everything forward and from what i saw that it couldn't be further from the truth Number one thing that I think it, the number one misconception I would say that uh, about group breaking is that it's it is it's a it's growing the hobby or it's growing sales. What it's doing is taking money that used to be spent on unopened boxes or case breaking, or individuals would instead of spending thirty dollars on a spot, they would save up their money over the course of a month or two and then spend ninety dollars on a box. It's the same thing. Yes, you might have certain cases where people got you know got into breaking a little bit more, or maybe it keeps people in the hobby longer. Maybe the the spending pattern is a little higher. I get all that, but. It, it, at the same time, it's subtracted money. You've got to then subtract the money where that money would have gone. That money would have gone to blow out cards in DA Card World, just unopened boxes, or would have gone to eBay. So the overall economy really probably hasn't grown a tremendous amount with group breaking. The reason why you know that is you don't see the little guy reinvesting. You don't see the... like. I rattled off. I only went to maybe a dozen group breakers websites and four or five of them I was aware of already. And the four or five of that I really hadn't never really heard of that much or had only heard of maybe, um, you know, occasionally didn't have uh, SSL security. Their sites looked pretty, you know, 2001 ish, which is fine. But it shows there's very little reinvestment at the at the low end. And that shows you, again, if I'm researching, take group breaking out of it. Take sports cards out of it. If I'm researching any industry, whether it's blue jeans or televisions or whatever, TV shows, doesn't matter what you're looking to invest in. If the little guy at the bottom isn't reinvesting, it means... That either there's a dominant player, there's a dominant guy that's just crushing it and makes it impossible for anybody else to really do business, or the market's not that big. More often than not, it means the market's not that big, the market's not that profitable, and and you know that because there's not reinvestment. I know this from my own experience when... 
several years ago when eBay Partner Network was just spewing money out to anyone that had a fairly relatively popular sports card website, you saw lots of reinvestment, not necessarily for me, quite honestly, and probably selfishly, yet I didn't, I didn't look at it as being super selfish because I was being compensated to put up information for collectors that then they used for whatever. A lot of people came to my website and made money off that information, would, would use that for eBay listings, would use that for buying decisions, um, would use that for selling decisions, would use that for group break decisions. So I always felt okay with reinvesting to, with my website to make sure it was up, make sure it ran quickly, and make sure the information was provided in a timely manner. But I didn't hire any writers. I didn't sponsor any events. I never um, had super lucrative contests outside of what I was given from Panini and Tops and, and whoever else sent me stuff. Most of, I would, I'll be honest, most of the profits um, from the websites that I build go to buying into company, much larger companies on the stock market. I take money, I create money, wealth myself, and then I take that money and obviously I pay bills and I do things with it, obviously, but there's extra on top of that. That then uh, there's people out there that are working a hell of a lot harder than me and are a hell of a lot smarter that went to a lot better schools and colleges and have a pedigree that it far exceeds mine. And so I invest in leaders of public companies and watch them work, make them work for my money. You know what I mean? And they often send me dividend checks and things like that. And then I can use that money often to just buy more shares. So I don't, I don't see a lot of that in group breaking, especially investing the profits in, in the stocks. But um, I, you know, I think if the group breaking industry was thriving, you would see uh, uh, online chat supports, 800 numbers. You'd see SSL certificates on everybody's website. You'd see um, probably a little bit more um, investment on the website, whether they do it with their own time or they pay somebody, hey, you know, go on Odesk or Fiverr or wherever it is and pay somebody $100, $200, $300, even $1,000 or $2,000 or uh, more to create them a, a better website, to create, you know, get a little bit better customer experience. You'd see that from a lot more people if the money was really flowing because the same thing happened just in content websites. You saw content websites with with writers and with, with multiple podcasts and with all kinds of stuff. Beckett, you know, certainly was, was doing better in those days, but the people that really monetized uh, – eBay partner network were especially forums and forums obviously have died off a little bit here and there, but um, certainly there was more lucrative prizes and certainly more people being put behind the effort of, of promoting a forum when the, when the payments were much higher. You don't see that. I don't see that going on in group breaking uh, necessarily. I don't see the excess 
profits there. I think there's just enough profit there to keep the lights on and to pay whatever bills that the breaker is trying to pay um, at home, whether it's, uh, you know, an Internet bill, a TV bill, whether he's able to pay his rent or he's able to pay his then his car payment, his insurance payment, his gas. Um, Yeah, maybe that all those bills are being paid. But there's still not enough money left over to really see a lot of website investment. And I, I don't see a lot of customer support investment. Obviously, these guys then have to invest in the back end. The, the bigger and bigger you get as a breaker, the more you have to invest in the back end. And I don't think a lot of new breakers think about that. They don't think about, well, if, hey, maybe I do turn this into a $10,000 a week or $10,000 a month kind of revenue or profit type thing. Well, to scale to that level, there's going to need to be four or five of you um, working on this. And so that's tough to manage. Trust me, it's, it's tough to manage a business just by yourself or with a partner that you might know very well, might be a family member. It's hard to manage that, let alone when you start hiring four, five, six, seven other people, and then you have turnover. It becomes, um, you know, if you didn't go to college, if you didn't study business in college, and you didn't study these kind of things, um, I'm not saying you can't do it. And certainly there's many, many examples of people doing it very well without that kind of background. But from my experience going to business school and learning all this stuff, I can only imagine trying, you know, I failed many times in business and I had a background in managing people and uh, managing, uh, you know, doing market research and all this stuff. Um, you really have to, there's some luck involved, but there, and timing involved in business, but certainly there's, there's a lot, um, there's a learning curve. And so, um, I don't know if a lot of new breakers really think about that. So I'll go over, um, a few things that I thought, I think that could be improved if group breaking really wants to, here's my, my like overall thesis Today, I really think the group breaking landscape is probably at best, it's on par with the local card shop landscape. There's a few card shops, absolutely, whether they're in Chicago or on the East Coast or in Southern California or wherever it might be. There's local little pockets where there's card stores certainly doing well. And certainly that is the case with group breaking. There's pockets where you have a guy or two or four or five or a handful that are certainly doing well for themselves and maybe generating enough profit to where they don't have to work a a traditional job um, where it makes sense to maybe stay in this and see where it goes. I see that and certainly see that at the local card shop level. But there, again, there's a lot of people that are leaving the, the business, that are coming into being a breaker or have the dreams of being a breaker and maybe take that step. I think you see more take that step. Obviously, the barrier to entry is far lower than a card shop owner. Card shop owner, you got a retail space and all these um, you know, payment merchant account and all this stuff lined up before you open. Whereas group break, you need a webcam and, you know, a phone call or an email to blow out, really, because the, the prices are, are, are pretty much the same there than they are at the wholesale level. So 
you see more guys trying to get into breaking. So I understand the failure rate and kind of the number of them will, will be, you know, not comparable, but I don't see a, a huge number of breakers that I would say that are thriving. There's just simply not enough demand for it. And one of the reasons for it is because they're not attracting new people. I think the people that are into group breaking certainly are very, um, very, experienced collectors would have probably would probably be in collecting in one form of another whether there was group breaks going on or not and 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 likely if you buy into breaks it's probably not your only interaction with uh sports cards so um it's a customer that kind of already existed i don't see group breaking really creating a lot of new customers bringing somebody that never collected cards, didn't really have any interest in cards. Yes. And I guarantee you there are stories of this and there's probably certain examples, but I'm talking about to a scale to where it really moves the needle to where not just blowout has or blowout or mojo or Layton or any of these guys that already have a decent number of compressors where they're like, Hey, Colin, I, I have a guy that, you know, used to collect in the eighties and, and now all he does is breaks once he heard about him. I get that. That exists. But that guy needs to be coming to you every other day. You need to be getting a new one of those guys almost every day. Kind of new money, fresh money, fresh deposit kind of money. Otherwise, the business will just stay about where it is or stay about, you know, kind of where local card shops is. Yeah, you'll have a couple guys doing well during certain seasons, certain times, certain whatever. Whereas the majority of people entering and exiting the market will have will have probably wasted their time and some money. So I think there needs to be a, a refocus on educate and, and there's a lot of people on the fence. There's a lot of people probably like me that's probably a target customer, someone that collects cards, knows about cards quite a bit, has a lot of extra money to spend and doesn't mind spending money here and there on cards. It's no big deal, but I brought buy into maybe one break a year. And maybe I'm not the ideal guy, but there's probably parallels of me, people without the kind of industry bias and maybe, um, that weren't card shop owners and weren't sellers and are kind of burnt out on cards as it is that are more collectors. And those are the people that you want to target, but they don't break because they're not, it's not marketed to them. It's not easy for them to understand. They don't know when the break is. I can't tell me how many breaks, how many websites I went to yesterday and it was up. Oh, there's 26 spots. It's here's the price. Can't tell you how many cut and paste just the sell sheet. Pretty much every breaker just cuts and pastes the sell sheet. Whereas I'm on a group breaking website, chances are I know I'm looking at National Treasures Baseball, getting into a National Treasures group break, not because I don't know anything about National Treasures. It just shows to me most breakers have no idea. They say, oh, we love our customers. We care about you. We love you. They really don't. 
They're not thinking about you. They're not thinking about you at all. All their customers knows have seen the sell sheet of National Treasures Baseball. They know what to expect in National Treasures Baseball. You don't need to explain that to them. What you need to explain to people is when the break is. When does it, if there's no specific time, if it's when it fills, if that's when the break happens, when will that be? How will I be notified about that? What happens if there's a double card? What What's a random break? A lot of times I would look and it's a random break. It's team pick. It's, 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 it's all this different it's division break, this, that, and the other. And they didn't explain it. So there's all this lingo that, yes, you are familiar with if you probably listen to this podcast. Yes, you're probably familiar with if you break a lot or if you're a breaker yourself. You got to think about the guy that's just looking into, probably just heard about breaking or maybe was in one, but has it become a regular breaker? Things like explaining when the break is going to be. Here's a link to my video would certainly help. I think the one person, I will say the one person, I won't say that they did it perfectly. There's certainly ways that, that this breaker or this retailer too, I think they're they're bigger, um, they have a bigger operation than just breaks. It's just, a, it's kind of like blowout in some of these other places where breaks is just a part of what they do. Um, but I think it's called Steel City Collectibles. They had a national, they tweeted, a, uh, they just randomly tweeted uh, that they had a National Treasures break. So I clicked on it because I was kind of in the mood to go to everybody's site. And I kind of, they weren't one that came to the top of my head, but I follow them and I, I respect them um, as a retailer. So I clicked on it. And I noticed it was for a break that didn't have a specific time, but they explained very well. Once it filled, we were going to send you an email. And within 24 hours, there was going to be a time in that email and it would be within 24 hours that break would fill. And here's a link. You know, it would it would break live here and we would also send you a, a video. And they also explained what would happen um, if there was a retired player or if there was a dual card and how that would be random. It was also a division break. Something I'm not as familiar with, but they explained fairly well how a random division break worked. So I felt comfortable if I wanted to buy into a a National Treasures break and I liked the format of a random division break that broke when it filled, I certainly wouldn't have minded pulling out my credit card at that point. There were some other things that I think Steel City could add to their website. Um, that would convince even a, a buyer that's even less familiar with them to to buy even more, and I'll I'll go over those now. First thing is um, testimonials. I worked for an insurance guy that had more customers than he could than he could handle. Literally, his his agents were overworked. His uh, the office was overworked. I was brought in uh, actually as a relatively young person. This was many years ago, um, kind of as a consultant almost to, as an outside perspective to try to help his or his insurance, which was a multi-million dollar insurance. He was asking like a 20 year old how he could run it better because he saw that I even at that time could 
identify weaknesses and processes and marketing and, and, and try to tie them together. So, and he's still a guy, I don't work for him anymore, but still a guy that contacts me to this day. Um, he was so focused on getting more customers and he was, and he just wanted testimonials and, and, and every new customer that he got, he wanted them to say something nice about him. So he could put it on his website or his Facebook or, or whatever at the time. And I was really kind of inspired by that. I, you know, he wanted, I was building a lot of websites for him too at the time. And he always, you know, he'd always look at something and say, add a testimonial, add a, you know, add a, someone, some bit, you know, put the person's name in their business or whatever down below. So, you know, put a business that people really recognize in town because it was kind of a local insurance agency. So we were targeting a very specific market. So I was always inspired by that. I didn't see any of that on uh, Group Breaker's website. I don't think anyone um, tackled the testimony. I know you guys think you're famous and you think you're big and you're famous, but you're not. And I think the certainly I'm inspired by celebrities that at least publicly kind of um, – how should I say this? Um, I'm inspired by celebrities that are more humbled by their celebrity than maybe um, kind of infatuated by it. I think my, probably my 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 generation for me, um, Pearl Jam kind of fits that mold. It's a band that certainly has been around, certainly had a large level of success, um, but have always tried in a lot of instances to not really um, push their celebrity and push it over the edge um, like, you know, some other band. And I don't I don't I, I don't blame any band, especially in the music industry, really push your celebrity. But um, I think group breakers could take a cue from that. I think you can humble yourself a little bit and say, hey, I could use a lot more customers. And maybe I do well servicing my customers now, but I really could really use some new new deposits. Kind of look at yourself as like a FanDuel or a DraftKings who already had a lot of customers. Weren't making money, but had a lot of customers. So they're always looking for new deposits, fresh deposits, new new players, new players. They already have millions of customers and they need new, 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 new players. I think you as a group breaker need that same attitude. I personally think like testimonials, having links to other people saying, hey, I've broke with blah, 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 Breaker for the last two years. Here's some examples of how he's taking care of me. I'm sure you can do it too. And the way you do this is by asking some of your best customers, say, hey, hey, man, I got, you know, you just bought this spot for um, whatever Sterling Baseball for 30. Hey, I'm going to shoot you back um $10 PayPal if you can write can you write me a testimonial? I'm starting a new section on my website. I want some of my loyal customers to write testimonials about me and I'm going to put them on the sides of my listings on every page of your website. If you're selling something, it should have some kind of s- testimonial. Sure, if you're Amazon, if you're eBay, if you're check out my cards at this point, I think check out my cards did have testimonials and they might still have that. 
you need some of that as a breaker. Don't think just because you're making a little money, it can get a lot bigger, can get a lot more. And the way you do that is by attracting new customers. And by attracting new customers, you need to instill confidence on them. Um, one way is by adding testimonials. Other ways is about me. I didn't see the faces of anybody, I don't think. I think uh, if I was a breaker, I had my face. Uh, my insurance, again, I cue for my insurance guy. He wanted his face everywhere. Wanted his face everywhere. I almost had to like tell him, hey, Let's use your granddaughter. Your granddaughter's really cute. Your your daughter, my wife's not here. His daughter was gorgeous, smoking hot. I was like, we need to use her in advertisements. Started using her. I think he still uses her today. Uses her kids too. Not saying you need to put up your gorgeous girlfriend or put up swimsuit models. There might be a place for that. I wouldn't maybe go that route. But I didn't see any a clear kind of about me. Click on about me. Here's a picture of the breaker. Here I started collecting in 1989. I, you know, I did this for a while. Now, I, you know, I've been breaking since 2003. Here's here's all my blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a proud distributor from Southwest Hobby Supply or whatever. You know? Here's, you know, a lot of these guys have been interviewed. You can say, hey, here's an interview with me on YouTube. Here's an interview with me on um, whatever, Beckett Radio, whatever. I didn't see a lot of that. So um, a lot of these guys, I think, think, oh, you're on my website. You probably know me. Well, people probably know of you, but you need to push them over the edge. When that customer's on that website, your conversion rate should be super high in group breaking. If you're getting 100 visitors a day to your website and you're not converting 30, 40% of that, that's a failure. Again, 100 people, that would be 30 orders, 40 orders. You should be converting. I don't, I don't know what the conversion rate should be. I'm just guessing that that targeted of a visitor depends on where your traffic's coming from. If it's coming from Twitter, coming from Facebook and stuff like that, your conversion rate's going to be way lower. That's why I wouldn't even worry about those kind of, yeah, I'd, I'd worry about it, but I wouldn't, that wouldn't be my main source of getting customers, but traffic sources, direct traffic sources through email traffic sources, a little bit through search depends on what the term is though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about search either really email and direct is going to be how you're going to make all your money as a group breaker or how you get a lot of new customers and kind of tip them over the edge. So about me, phone numbers, you can get an 800 number and plast that up. You can get a support chat. You can outsource that. There's all kinds of little have a chat box up in the, in the corner of your website 24 hours a day or certain hours or whatever. You can run that yourself if you're by the computer a lot. Have a little chat box. Maybe nobody uses it. Now, I would guess probably 95% of the time, nobody even uses that chat box. But if it tips one buyer, two buyers over to, to saying, hey, this guy's got a chat box. He's got an 800 number. He's got all these testimonials. I'm just going to buy into this break. There's going to be a lot of people that do that. And I didn't see that. So it's not surprising to me that there's there's very few people likely really doing what I would call well 
in business in group breaking. A lot of them are, are surviving, keeping the lights on. And trust me, I know all about that. I know what it's like to keep the lights on on a retail. I, I, I opened an e-commerce site before a lot of kind of home businesses were doing that. This was 15 years ago, 16 years ago now. It was it was like thirty it was like thirty dollars for a domain name back then. That was like cheap. And it was like fifty dollars a month just to like host your website. It was expensive. So I don't see a lot of reinvestment. You'd see phone numbers, you'd see chat support, you'd see email support, you'd see uh, you know more reinvestments, maybe even a mobile app here and there, you'd see them maybe providing more tools instead of saying, hey, go to group break checklist. Hey, go to cardboard um, connection. Go to Beckett to go look at the hits. They'd hire a guy and have him do it. But you don't see a lot of that because I don't think there's a lot of money being almost skimmed off the top because, again, it goes into what I what I said. If you start getting big and group breaking, there there eventually needs to be three, four, five of you there. And that just inherently lowers margins um, all, all across the board. Unless you're running at, and unless you're already running at a really high margin, if you're selling perfume or you're selling handmade guitars, handmade shoes, yeah, I could see how you could you could hire some very skilled laborers and have them work for you and make a lot of money. But places like Amazon, they ha- and Walmart and uh, McDonald's and Chipotle and all these places uh, hire ten dollar an hour, uh, you know, high turnover type work. It's not easy. Not easy. I don't think I've I've uh, debated opening lots of or starting uh, businesses that would require a lot of employees and have always avoided it. It's not something I would much rather invest in a company with employees, I guess, is what the determination I've come to. I'd rather take my money, give it to somebody else, let them deal with the headache of the employees, I guess. (laughs) Um. The, the one thing that I think could help the back end uh, would be something like check out my cards or a clearinghouse like check out my cards. I think if you got big and, and group breaking, you probably would want to try to have a conversation with uh, check out my cards because if group breaking gets really big, I could easily see check out my cards kind of um, capturing a lot of the market if they wanted to. I'm not saying I, uh, this is something I've talked, I haven't talked to this about uh, with this, with Tim, the owner of Check On My Cards. It's not something I, I don't think they would consider, at least at this point. But if I was getting into group breaking, I wanted to be kind of the market leader. I would look at Check On My Cards as somebody that could crush me because they could, they easily, they have plenty of employees. All you need to do is go to, Go to their headquarters, request a little tour, and you'll see they have a lot of employees. Parking lots full of cars with employee that are all employees. They could easily have some of those people turn into breakers 
It's not a hard, not a hard thing. You guys think it's hard? It's not hard. Especially with somebody that has a little bit of education, a little bit of training. It's not hard. Almost no job is really that hard with education and training. Proper training, proper education, proper uh, maintaining, like continuing education and training is is how you really mold. It doesn't matter. You can give me any employee, any age. You, I know, I know nine-year-olds that could be a breaker right now and probably crush it. Probably do it a lot better than what's being done right now. So it's not hard. Someone like Checkout Market Cards to do that. And then they have the back end already worked out. They can process and sort cards and maybe, um, you know, hey, if you break with us, we'll deposit in your Check on My Cards account within 24 hours for free. Imagine how many people would start breaking with Check on My Cards at that point. Because within 24 hours, not only do you have, you basically take um, not possession of that card, but you basically have the right to sell it, which a lot of people are into breaks to do. They're into getting cards and then selling them so then they can go buy into their next break. Which is fine. I don't. There's no. There's no problem with that. And imagine if someone like Check on My Cards basically gives you the opportunity to sell your card on uh, obviously on Check on My Cards uh, or you know obviously request shipment um, instantly. And Check on My Cards has that the back end of a group breaking uh, great group breaking operation down pat. Trust me. They have it so down pat they won't show you that on the tour because they feel that's likely the most proprietary part of Check On My Cards is actually the the receiving, sorting, storing, and retrieving of people's cards that they are storing. That is the most proprietary portion of Check On My Cards operation. So if you're a group breaker, you should actually think about that. And check out my cards is not like a little website. This is a website where if Tim wanted to, he could go out and get a multi-million dollar, not an offer for the company. He could probably get a multi-million dollar investment for just a portion of the company. Guarantee you somebody could buy out every single group breaker for less than probably $50,000. Or $100,000, probably easily. I could go to a breaker and say, hey, for $25,000 cash, you sign this uh, no no break agreement for five years, which basically is like, you know, putting a guy out. Guarantee you they all sign that. So um, I would think about that as a group breaker. There's people out there that can crush your business. To scale group breaking, you need the back end more than you need the front end website, breaker, entertainer, sound effects. You need the back end, short sorting, shipping, um, and even a little bit of sales. All of which check on my cards can crush it with right now. So I would look to partner with them. They're certainly open to that. If you're running a lot of volume and you make it uh, valuable enough with them, um, if I was a breaker. I wouldn't want to ship to an individual. It'd be so much easier just to break, put it in a box, send it to check on my cards and make them sort it. And he actually offers that service. I don't think anybody really takes them up on it because there's not enough money in breaking. 
There's not enough, and or there's not enough guys kind of reinvesting, pushing the envelope, pushing a new business model, saying, hey, I'm going to take a chance sending some of my traffic to check on my cards, saying, hey, guys, here's my check out my cards breaks. Buy into these breaks, and then I send a check on my cards, and then they put the, then they deal with all the customer service, all the putting into your account, all that. All I have to do is break, put in a box, send off, done. I would I would certainly do that. That is a way more scalable business model than I'm gonna be a breaker, break it, sort it on the back end. Not only set, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to order the product, I'm going to sell it, then I'm going to break it, then I'm going to sort it, then I'm going to pack it and ship it. Guys, that's way too much work. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola company, if you invest in Coca-Cola stock, pretty much all you're investing in is sugar water. All Coca-Cola stock does is make sugar water. And then sells that to Coca-Cola bottling company. There's a whole separate bottling company. Whole separate investors. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of commingling investors in both. um, But it's a separate company. Coke makes the sugar water and then sends it to these bottlers that are in charge of bottling it and distributing it and and trucks and, and all, you know, this asset, this huge asset filled kind of uh, business model. If you're interested in that Coke bottling company, if you just want to make sugar water and send that to people, that's Coca-Cola company. And so you want to think about those kind of think about where your inefficiencies are. Maybe you're great at the back end. I would turn into the checkout. Don't turn in. I would turn into the, go to all these group breakers and say, Hey guys, let me, sort all the cards for you and sell them and ship them to your customers. Figure out what your margins need to be. Figure out what your labor costs would be as you scale up and, and, and see if it makes sense. See if it makes sense to go to Mojo break and say, Hey guy, instead of you paying a guy $10 an hour and, and not only while you're doing that, while you're sorting and you're breaking, you can't be breaking. You can't be doing the most profitable thing, which is ripping open packs can go to Mojo Break and say, hey, I'll do all the sorting. When you break it, put it in this box, send it to me. And email me or upload. Here's my website. Uh, this, here's where you upload the break. You put in the tracking number, put in the box, you know, figure out a way to say, hey, d- make it as easy as, as for someone at Mojo Break or any of these breakers to break a case, 10 cases, 5 million cases, put it in a box, send it to you, and then it gets to you a couple days later and four days later, it's out to the customers. And it's all just do, 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 do. That certainly would be a business model I'd be more interested in is actually servicing the breakers, becoming their payment processor. Certainly a need for that. You guys are all relying on PayPal, which is way too expensive. There's less options there, less expensive options there. Certainly if you're processing tens of thousands of dollars, you guys are morons if you're processing tens of thousands of dollars per month through PayPal. Just absolutely moronic. Any five, uh, uh, you know, point half of one percent, half a percent, even a full percent uh, reduction in that is a lot of money over the course of a month, and certainly over a course of a year, or certainly ten years, fifteen years, however long you see yourself being in business.
So I would think outside the box. Um, I got the question on Twitter. Um, you know, a new breaker, somebody getting into breaking, wants to get into breaking, maybe maybe does it a little bit here and there with some friends or some close uh, circle of people online. Uh, the first thing I would think about is a different business model. I would say, hey, maybe there's another way to make money here. Maybe breaking the cards is really not the way to make money. Maybe the guys that put the checklist up or the uh, or the odds or, or a way to do that or some tools, um, some team selecting tools. Maybe I could come up with a tool where I can charge collectors, you know, a nominal fee, $299, $399 a month to use. But I could I could get 400 people to sign up for it to where, you know, 400 times $3 is actually some real money. Or 400 times $999 certainly is even more money. Think about something like that, thinking about being the back end of them, maybe managing their websites. Maybe you know how to set up websites really well, but you can't sell or maybe you, you don't feel like breaking. Maybe you don't feel like going through the whole grind of it. Maybe you realize there's not a lot of money there, but you know how to set up websites. Well, go to all these guys that need website work. Maybe do a little in cash, a little in trade. You can always do stuff like that. Um, I, that's the first thing I would think of. That's usually the first thing I think of in any business idea. I always think of a business idea and then I always want to think, well, maybe there's a better way. If I think of a really good way to make money, usually I say, well, I usually challenge myself and say, maybe there is an even better way to do this. And that's that's how I ended up into the stock market. Started out in retail, e-commerce, affiliate marketing, but I kept going back to the stock market where all I have to do is give people my money i make two click of a button on uh, an account obviously there's a lot more research and a lot more thought i do into it but ultimately the process ends up being i put money i buy shares of a company and they do all the work (laughs) and either the stock and the stock goes up and or they pay me dividends usually both and all i had to do was put money into an account So, um, I don't, you know, there's people that aspire to do a lot harder work or a lot greater good than that. But me, not really. I'm just looking to make some money so I can sit around and watch college football and NBA and do podcasts on uh, sports cards. So, um, new breakers. Um, the other thing, don't look to make money. I think a lot of guys get in and you can tell that this is just kind of, they're trying to make money from day one. And that just shows that it's just it's not a business. I don't think it's really a business. I think you want to look to maybe do a whole season. Uh, football season probably is the quickest. Uh, do a football season in the last four months. And then you can say, well, I'm going to pick up NBA here in January. Or I'm going to pick up MLB when it starts here in January. I think that would be the perfect thing to do. Um, try it for a season. Try not to make any money. I don't see a lot. The strategy I would do would be to have a bankroll, have maybe some side income, whether it's a part-time job or for me, it would be some kind of website that was spitting off free cash flow that I didn't have to work on that much. Um, then it's, uh, okay, I'm going to break, but I'm not going to make any money. I'm going to run real low margin. I'm going to do the Amazon strategy, run super low margin, low price point, low margin, low, and basically capture as many customers as I can then that'll keep other competitors at bay. They'll come in and look at my prices and be like, wow, this guy's, you know, 
he's offering all these case breaks at, at you know, a dollar over what it cost. So I'd run things out basically at cost on a dollar level. Obviously, I'd be putting in a lot of time that I probably wouldn't be accounting for, but would want to account for later. I wouldn't want to work for free my whole life, break cards for free my whole life. Trust me, nobody will. But once I had a customer base, a big email list, maybe an email list of a couple hundred or a thousand or more, and some Twitter followers and some ways to engage with people, then it's okay, slowly start increasing your prices a little bit or slowly start increasing your margins. One way or another, you don't necessarily have to increase the price on a break. You can start to upsell these guys. Upsell them into something else. I think most people are doing kind of like personal breaks now. That's kind of the upsell now. Where it's, hey, you're sitting around in my lobby waiting for this break. Why don't you break a personal break? You could start maybe doing a little bit of that. Um, there's lots of other ways. Upsell people into supplies, upsell people into other more profitable, marge, higher margin products. That's certainly a strategy Amazon employs. Sell a lot of stuff on Amazon that it sells at no margin, no money. They're losing money on it. Certainly on shipping, they're losing money on it. But Amazon's hope is then you, you buy Amazon Prime, obviously, but their hope is, I mean, that's their hope. And maybe you should think about that as a group breaker. Costco, go look at Costco stock. I guarantee you that's who Amazon is trying to emulate. Amazon is trying to get, run stuff out at a really low margin and get it to you very, almost as quick as it would be at Costco. Obviously not as quick and not as satisfying as, as maybe a trip to Costco is, but similar to where I can order on Amazon and almost the next day get almost anything on the site. And the way they're going to make money is by through Amazon Prime, is by charging people $129 or whatever. And so the, they, they already have a lot of customers to, to that. In a few years, Amazon Prime will go up to $134.99 or $149 or whatever. Costco typically ups their um, fee by like $5 usually. So it's like 50, 55, 60 or whatever. And Amazon will probably employ a similar, they've already raised the price of Prime and they'll, they'll continue to do it over time because that's how you just pour money onto a company. And that's what Costco does. They run things out at a very low, yeah, they make money on a lot, of, especially a lot of their private label stuff. They make money on it when it's selling, but not much, not much margin. Uh, but where they make a lot of their money, or the, they charge everybody fifty dollars a year, and so there's this constant flow of money coming in from that. And then anytime you want to raise, anytime you want to put foot on the gas, maybe give a dividends to some shareholders, which is often what they do. You raise the price for five dollars, and all of a sudden it pours money onto the company. Because yeah, you have people cancel, but it'll be, you know, they're giving, they're basically giving you product at cost. So what's an extra $5 a year to shop at Costco? What's an extra $10 a year to shop on Amazon? So you might want to think about that as a breaker. Run at no cost, but to to break with me, to break with me you got to pay $99 a year. Or break at no cost, 
but have maybe I would what I what I haven't seen maybe maybe it's out there. This might be the best idea. Here we are deep into the show. We'll probably shut it off after this, but deep into the show, you'll be rewarded if you hung with me this long. I don't see a lot of Expedia shipping, uh, you know, options. Maybe they're out there. I don't know. I know. Check out my cards. This is one of their revenue models. If you want your cards faster, you pay more. And I think I would do that with breaking. Have a, a standard, hey, your cards get shit, shipped out, shit out, in, uh, it's almost the same thing, uh, in 10 business days. But hey, if you want it in four business days, five business days, it's $99 a year. I don't know if I do it at that price point or at those days. You can figure you you can make that business decision yourself. Maybe do some testing before you make final decisions. But I would think about that. It any kind of annual payment also commit. I can't tell you being an Amazon. I'm actually a member of Amazon Prime. I'm not Costco yet. I think when I have kids and I want to buy, I'm big on going to the store and buying really fresh food and cooking it that day. Um, but certainly when you have kids and you're driving to soccer and all this other stuff, you probably can't, that's not feasible very much. Um, so, but there's a lot of times where I'm like, well, I can go out and buy this here. I can go buy this here, but on Amazon, I'm a prime member and it's free shipping. So I might as well just go on Amazon and buy it. And I buy it on Amazon or I'll look to buy something on a company website and then I'll go check to see if it's on Amazon. See if I get an Amazon prime. So then I'll buy it on Amazon. I think you could employ a similar strategy um, with breaking. Try to figure out a way to commit. It could be a nominal, even like a $20 a a year thing or a a micro transaction, $2 a month, $4.99 a month, something. Where they get it, maybe expedited shipping, maybe a customer pay for premium support. If guys are blowing you up too much, asking too many questions, asking this, make people pay for premium support. I think these are ways you can add services onto breaking um, without necessarily having to charge more for the spots or having to run out more volume. I think you could look at the volume you have and say, hey, how can I charge more for maybe some premium services in here? Overnight shipping. Uh, consignment directly onto eBay. I know some guys do the the BGS um, and maybe even PSA uh, submissions where they'll then send your cards off to be graded. I think all that, and there's profit margin there. If you're not already doing that with Beckett, just give them a call. They give you rates. I did this when I had a card shop. They give you rates that are pretty cheap. In my day, it was like $8 a card or something. You could you could get it down to. So you could charge the guy 10 bucks. And if you had 30 cards, 40 cards, you were making some money on it. Um, you certainly could do that with um, breaking. Um, and that's it. Uh, I think the price point was generally too high when I was searching breaks. I saw a lot of 30, 40, 50, 70, 80 dollar breaks. And guys, your your um your selling point, your um I can't think of the the term right now, but your unique selling point, I think that's it. Your unique kind of your uniqueness was to be able to get people into boxes for ten dollars. I remember breaks three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars. I saw some people doing that 
And and I don't know how successful they are running breaks at that price point, but certainly for me, I think that's a more attractive price point to a newcomer too. So I'd have lower price breaks. I'd have testimonials. I'd have clear instructions on when and how the break happens. And it doesn't need to be all on one page. You can have links, obviously, to a lot of that stuff. FAQs. I didn't see a lot of people that had free. I mean, I saw a little bit, but I think you could go way more in depth there. Help people out. Say, hey, you can always say, if you have any questions, send me an email before the break. Send me a tweet. Send me a Facebook message. Here's all the links. Here's my cell phone number. Put a Google, go to Google Voice, get a number, and put that number up. And it rings right to your phone. There, and there's, you don't have to do Google Voice. There's, there's a number of apps that do that. Where you, it's free, hundred percent free. Get a phone number, put and put that out there. People can text message you on that number. Now, I don't think I'd put my personal cell phone number out there unless you, you know, maybe if you don't have a lot of friends, a lot of people wanted to call you, maybe. Or get a second phone or you get a go phone or whatever for nothing these days. So um, I'd get security. I wouldn't buy on anybody that didn't that was passing my just because you're processing the payment on to, on PayPal. That's just a portion of the secure something you're supposed to secure. If the breaker doesn't care about my address, securing the form my address goes into, are they weighing boxes in the back are they doing videos and you know uh, you know that would probably be the the first thing that would come to mind is a guy that weighs boxes he does breaks he gets a case he weighs it all out and he breaks the four lightest ones and the one that's you know four ounces over five ounces over or you know in some if it's a bat barrel card or something like that it'd be several ounces over that one gets pushed off to the side. That gets opened up. Then you see those cards on his eBay account. Wonder how those got there. So there'd be things I'd be worried about. Um, certainly, group breaking is certainly a, not a thriving landscape right now. And anybody that says it's thriving and says it's it's this fast-growing thing is absolutely foolish. Absolutely doesn't know what they're talking about takes 20 minutes of uh, internet research, 20 minutes to 30 minutes of internet research and a keen perspective on how to, how to, um, again, I can, I don't consider myself while I'm probably considered like a professional when it comes to analyzing businesses. I certainly feel I have a lot to learn. I certainly feel like I'm still young, especially I had a golf outing with a lot of my counterparts, a lot of financial analysts that were my counterparts that were, I was the youngest guy there probably, probably um, 10 years or more, 15 years probably. Most guys are probably late 40s, 50s. So uh, I certainly have a lot to learn, but I certainly believe I have a keen experience in this industry, certainly over a lot of other people giving you their opinion um, that's often biased. Group bank landscaping is is nowhere near what a lot of people say it is. It's certainly on par and and likely below where local card shops are. So a lot of people you see a lot of hate on local card shops. Oh, they don't know what they're doing. Their prices are too high. There, it's always empty. It's dirty. Blah blah blah. Same thing could be said about uh, group breaking. Go to their websites. It, to me, no SSL certs. Uh, is, that's dirty. 
That's a dirty e-commerce site. There's two. I went to a lot of sites, two products on there. No testimonial, no FAQ, no phone number, no about me, no clear instructions on this is how a break, this is how a random break works, this is how a division break works, this is how if you pull a card that has another guy's team on it, this is how it's sorted out. These are all things people are going to want to know. And don't assume, it's incorrect to assume that all your customers know that. It's extremely incorrect to, to assume that. And it's, it's it's 100% incorrect to assume all your potential customers are going to know what a random break is. Or that, hey, it's going to break once it fills. Well, when is it going to fill? Is it going to be tonight, tomorrow, a week? What's, you know, give me a time frame. Or how are you going to notify me when it fills? You should be texting guys, uh, you know, tweeting them. Emailing them is probably the most important thing. I don't see a lot of that going on. It means nobody's really making a lot of money, period. If you are raking in the money and just balling out and making it rain, yeah, you'd be buying a Mercedes. Yeah, you'd have a nice house. Yeah, you'd maybe indulge in some things. But you'd still have plenty of money left over to reinvest in your website and reinvest in your operation. It's just not happening. And it's not happening at local card shops. Trust me, there's not local. You don't pull up to uh, a card shop and see an E350 sitting uh, parked there all day. That's the owners. No, you don't see that. Website guys have the E350s. Maybe the maybe the distributor. I doubt it. May probably the, some of the higher ups at uh, some of these companies certainly do. You'd have to be really high up at tops because there's not a there's not a lot of C suite kind of guys there. Some of the digital guys probably are doing pretty well because they probably have some equity pieces to get some of those uh, digital guys over to tops. They probably had to um, give them some equity somehow. Give them some upside because that's what they're used to. They wouldn't leave uh, a public company or a semi-public company to go um, work for tops if that wasn't the case. So, um, yeah. I think the point of this show is group breaking is, is a part of the hobby right now. It's certainly something that has grown, but um, it's got a long ways to go. Again, it's nowhere near, nowhere near card shops uh, in terms of, it's on par with card shops in terms of health of kind of where it's at. And I think it could go either way. I see a lot of potential with breaks. I see a lot of potential with some of the people that are involved in it, but I don't think they have the time or and or the resources to really expand where it's at right now. So I wouldn't, I'm not anticipating a lot of growth, not anticipating a lot of reinvestment. Um, and I am anticipating more and more competition coming online. So should be interesting to follow. 
Uh, it's certainly not an industry I would want to jump into. If I was looking to break, I would be uh, primarily doing it to um, as a hobby, as something to just um, try out, uh, maybe more more for the community aspect, maybe than um, making a profit. And like I said earlier, if I was starting out group breaking, wouldn't look to make a profit for um, at least a season. So likely six to eight months um, would be bare minimum. That's about it, folks. Hope I didn't, you know, some of it may or may not be that uh, entertaining uh, to a lot of people. Um, but hopefully to, to some of you out there, I try, you know, I've been more critical probably in the past when group breaking just started up. I had all these same concerns. I had concerns initially. A lot of these guys didn't even have websites. They were just selling on Facebook or they were selling on Twitter or whatever, selling on a forum or on a live stream. At least they've gotten to the point where pretty much everybody has a website now. Uh, I think it'd be nice if we got to the point where everybody had the proper security um, because I, you know, if, if you, especially if you're younger, you might not understand, maybe you're giving out your parents' address. You do not want to do that on an unsecure form. So, um, and as a breaker, you want to not harbor that kind of environment where somebody that might be 16, 17, 18 years old, living at home with mom and dad who might have a lot of money, who might not want anybody knowing where they live, is putting addresses onto a breaker site because um, he doesn't know any better, doesn't know that you're not putting your address to an unsecure form is not a good idea, especially um, when it comes to things like collectibles. And especially, I mean, I don't care if you live in the ghetto or you live in, on the golf course. You don't need people knowing where you live. Um, I, you know, you go do the, who is go do the, who is on my, all my websites. There's an address there. If you want to show up there, it's going to be one of the most ghetto places you'll ever see. Be like, God, he talks about having a Mercedes and talks about balling out and going to Vegas you know, a couple times a year and, and, and stay in the sweet life. Why does he live here? Well, trust me guys. I don't live there. Nobody lives there. But I have access to the mailbox. That's the most important thing. You can put a P.O. box, but I like to put up the most ghetto address. So if anybody has the bright idea of trying to come rob me, they'll show up and probably get robbed themselves. There's every every time I do occasionally stay there for a night. Uh, but it's uh, last time I did was a few months ago, a month or two ago, and someone got shot and killed. So. Needless to say, and I parked my car at a friend's house and took Uber to the apartment because I'm not parking my car outside because I know what will happen to it. So you might want to think about those kind of things when you're putting your address online, put the most ghetto, dangerous address you possibly can find and nobody's going to come bother you. Um, And that's about it. So group breaking industry. Some people are going to tell you it's thriving, it's unbelievable, it's growing so fast, it's it's really supporting the hobby, it's the future of the hobby. Not really, guys, not at all. Not at all. There's no reinvestment being made. The guys like me, guys like uh, the forum guys, uh, Freedom Cardboard and Cardboard Connection guy and um, some of the other guys with websites were killing it. 
killing it for several years, for many years. On content, on free websites, free content, free forums. Making in excess, I know several people, including myself, made in excess of five figures per month. Not for a year, not for a season, for years on end per month. So um, that's when you saw real lots of investment. You saw people actually making a lot of money. Um, I don't see that in breaking. I think the websites would be far more high quality. I think you'd see a far more innovation and far more, you know, we're not, innovation isn't, uh, instead of breaking, we're razzing. Instead of breaking, we're rolling dice. Instead of using random.org, we're using this. That's not really innovation. Innovation would be some kind of website tool that I think made it easier to select teams. Maybe had uh, odds, chances, things like that, maybe implied value, projected value, turn it more into like a fan, turn it more into daily fantasy to where it's like, Hey, you can open up this box of Sterling. If you get Milwaukee, um, you're probably not, you know, put implied you know what the price should probably be set the pricing. I don't know. There's a lot of business models out there. I don't necessarily think, um, opening the cards is the best one and certainly probably ultimately is not going to be the most profitable. one. if group breaking succeeds, and is the future of the hobby a service around breaking is going to be uh, going to have the most longevity, going to make the most profits. Trust me, when I was putting up checklists and eBay was paying people ridiculous amounts of money to refer traffic to them. When I was at the industry summit, it became clear very quickly that I was probably doing the best me and the other website guys were probably doing the best in terms of finances having extra free cash everybody else was struggling or looking you know hey they had to put you know that if they weren't struggling they had to front seven thousand for their latest case order or they have all this money tied up in pre-orders and cases and inventory that is that will move will sell but at a slower trickle than website clicks and things of that nature. So think about that um, as you evolve yourself as a business person. There's no nothing wrong with starting out as a breaker and then pivoting into one of the more profitable areas. Um, that's about it, folks. Uh, hopefully that's some food for thought for you. We'll be back some other time, some other place. I appreciate all of you listening. Until next time, we are out of here.